Okay, how many of you were in here for the Old Testament survey that we did? Most of you. You know then my problem with Noah and Jonah. I, I have, it's been a problem uh, since 1980. The summer of 1980, I preached a sermon at the League City Church of Christ on Jonah. And I called him Noah throughout the entire sermon. And it's a brain glitch. And there's nothing I can do about it. And when I got to Jonah in this class, I announced, I'm sorry, it's a brain glitch. I'm going to try my hardest to call Jonah, Jonah. But some Noahs are going to sneak out. This was the class where uh, old Mike Hudgens there in the back, the baseball umpire that he is, takes signs like the K used for strikeouts. And every time I would call Jonah Noah, he would put up an N, an N. So I'm standing up here looking at the N's piling up. Hey, I have another problem. I have a problem because I have a tendency to call the Holy Spirit It. The Holy Spirit's not an it. Is the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal power. The Holy Spirit is God, personal and moral and infinite God. And to show that the Holy Spirit is not simply an electrical current, we don't call the Holy Spirit it. We call him him, which is what the Bible does as well. Though it's a little murky in the Bible, because he, she, and it can be kind of the same ending at times. But aside from that, if you're following details, don't send me an email saying I'd forgotten my biblical languages. It's just this problem that's in my brain. And I used it as the introduction. And Friday afternoon, I sent my lesson out to my 75 reviewers. You wouldn't believe how many of them sent back and said, hey, that's a wonderful introduction. I'm so glad you've pledged not to call the Holy Spirit it, even though you did it three times the last time you taught. And oh, by the way, on page 10 of your lesson, you call the Holy Spirit it again. So I couldn't even get it right writing the lesson, but I did fix that typo. It's not, you know, Gordon Fee wrote a book, God's Empowering Presence. And in his book, God's Empowering Presence, where he studies the Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul, he says to many people, the Holy Spirit's just some gray oblong blur. Calling the Holy Spirit an it feeds that misconception. And so I, I mean, God's not offended by it. Heavens, I've got so many bigger problems than that that God's working on. I think he can handle a little mispronunciation or misreference to his name or who he is. But I'm offended. I'm 52 years old. I've walked with the Lord for almost all of my life, as long as I could remember. I've prayed and, and tried to live in the Holy Spirit's presence and guiding. And I still don't get it all right. But I will tell you what I'm excited about today. I'm not excited about the opportunity to call the Holy Spirit it, because I'll probably mess up and do it a few times in this. But I am excited to get to to open God's word with you. 
Because I'm absolutely convinced the Holy Spirit should not be a gray oblong blur. The Holy Spirit is infinite, personal, and moral God. The Holy Spirit's He, not it. And I look forward to telling you about Him today. In a very strong uh, biblical sense. To do this... We're going to have to throw up a chalkboard. Now, here's the problem we've got. If you're just in here and this is the first time or the second time, you missed the lesson two weeks ago, then you missed the, the, the foundation that we are using to build this class on. So I, I want to give it to you, but I'm giving it to you in a real special form. Here's the deal. Before Jesus went to the cross... He had a last chance to visit with his apostles. A good bit of that visit is recorded in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. In the process of that visit, Jesus told the apostles, who were clueless about what he was talking about, I might add. He said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send, and the Father's going to send, the Holy Spirit. Now, he calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Spirit of Truth. But he says that the Holy Spirit will come, and Jesus promised, Jesus assured his apostles that when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit would do certain things. And so we looked at those passages in careful detail two weeks ago. And the reason I call it the foundation is because today we're going to study the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit historically did come. And when we do it, I want you to do it with the lawyer's mind. Do it critically. Put God to the test. Put Jesus to the test. When the Holy Spirit came, did the Holy Spirit do what Jesus taught and promised he would do? Seems a reasonable question to me. So that's what we're going to do. To do that, I got to throw the checklist back up here. We made a checklist as we went through those passages and we wrote down each of the teachings or promises that Jesus gave us about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to put the checklist up here. Little bit different class this week in the sense that I'm not as PowerPoint driven. I'm going to be over here on the Elmo and we're going to be looking at the scriptures together going back to our checklist To see if the Holy Spirit does what Jesus said he would. Alright? That's the format. First, the checklist. Jesus said that the Father is going to give the Holy Spirit. Now, he said the Holy Spirit's already with you because the Holy Spirit was with Jesus. In Jesus. But he says he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be given at some point in the future by the Father... And the Holy Spirit will be in the apostles, in the followers of Jesus, all right? So at some point in the future, 
from when Jesus is having this conversation, the Father is going to give the Holy Spirit to be in. Not only that, the Holy Spirit will be a helper. Parakletos in the Greek. A helper. Someone who's called alongside to assist, to counsel, to comfort, to speak for and advocate on behalf of. Someone to assist and help the followers. Number three. Okay, I've just lost my thing here. So we have to make one quick change. Uh, Okay, thank you. Number three. The Holy Spirit's going to be permanent. He will not leave you. See, under the Old Testament, God would send His Spirit out. But the Spirit was not a permanent resident. The Spirit would come on Saul when he was anointed by Samuel, but left Saul with his sin. The Spirit came on David. David feared from his sin. The Spirit would leave and he prays, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Jesus says, no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit comes this time, it's permanent. It's not a temporary thing. You don't sin and lose that Holy Spirit. Number next, Jesus says, this is the spirit of truth. There's a lot that's involved in that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit is the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of God. But it's also not a lying or a deceiving spirit. It's a spirit of truth. Jesus says this spirit will be unique to the believer. The world will not see it. The world will not know it. The world is not the the recipient of it. There is a special way that God's Holy Spirit will be given to a believer. Jesus says that this Holy Spirit will actually indwell the believer. Take up home, reside within us. The Holy Spirit will be sent in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, meaning on behalf of Jesus, because of Jesus, through the cause of Jesus, to further the cause of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's going to be sent, will indwell the believer, will be sent in Jesus' name, and then will teach the believers, will teach the apostles. That's very important because when all of this is being said, the apostles, even though they've been with Jesus for three years, they don't have a clue what he's talking about. They really don't. They're sitting there, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, uh, uh, but I'll come back and I'm going to send, you know, and they're sitting there saying, uh, hey, we don't, we don't know where you're going. We, we, we're not following this. We're not tracking with you. And they really weren't. They were clueless. They did not yet have that Holy Spirit in them teaching them. He says, not only will he teach you these things, he's going to remind you of what I've said. Because a lot of you have not been taking notes. I have this thing in my office. When people come into my office and I am telling them, hey, I need you to do this and this and this and this. You know, we got to get this case ready for trial. Here's a list of things I need done. One, two, three, four, five. Sometimes people come in to my office and they just walk right in, sit right down. I say, okay, I got a list of things for you to do. Okay. Well, I don't trust their memory. 
So I have this little motion. It goes like this. It goes. That means, shouldn't you be writing this down? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, Jesus is sitting there. He doesn't have to do. Because instead he's got his Holy Spirit that's going to remind him. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to me, to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit's not coming to build up the church of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the invisible Holy Spirit, is not intent on being seen. The Holy Spirit is intent on Jesus being seen. The Holy Spirit is going to use the apostles to witness to Jesus. Just as the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will also do that through the apostles. Jesus says it. He says, he will bear witness to me and you will also because you have been with me from the beginning. Then what else do we have? The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, I can't send him to you to do these things until after I've done what I need to do and I've ascended to the Father. And that makes sense. How is the Holy Spirit going to bear witness to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and second coming if he hadn't died, been buried, and resurrected yet? Oh, he can to some degree in a prophetic way, like he did in the Old Testament. But not in the sense that, that the apostles will have him indwelling in them. Or that the believer will. Next. Jesus says, I will. Jesus will send the Holy Spirit. He's already said the Father will give it. Now he's saying that Jesus will send it. Jesus will have the purpose behind it. He will come to do what Jesus wants him to do. Number 15. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin for not believing in Jesus. Righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father. And judgment because the ruler of this world stands condemned. Jesus has justly done what needs to be done. Number 16. He will guide. It's an interesting word. Guide the apostles into truth. Now the word guide there does not mean... um, Well, we'll get to it later. But suffice it to say, it's the same idea of Jesus talking about the blind leading the blind. That word leading is the same as guide. It means to help someone see where they need to be and to help show them how to get there. It helps illuminate the destination and the path to get there. Number 17, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will speak God's message. The message of Jesus being in God and of Jesus being in us. And lastly, the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. Now, that's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. That's our, our, our checklist. And if we go to the book of Acts, um, I, there is a typo in all of your lessons. And I apologize about this. When I was first writing your lesson, I was thinking... It's not a typo. It's like a big misstatement that's there a couple of times. I was thinking, hey, I'm just going to collect out of Acts a couple of examples of the Holy Spirit that shows the Holy Spirit doing what Jesus said he would do. 
And so I put in there, this is not thorough. This is just, you know, I'm pulling out a couple of things. But then as I started writing the lesson, I thought, eh, I want to do it more thorough. It may take us two weeks instead of one, but I want your handout to have every instance in reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So you can see not only does he do what Jesus said he did, but Jesus told us everything he would be doing. Jesus wasn't just, it wasn't, oh yeah, he does a whole lot of stuff and here's part of it. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit in Acts is doing what Jesus said, not only item by item, but totally. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts. So this is not a, a, a I have not skipped the stone across the water. Your handout, by the time we're through, God willing, will have every reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in it. So you've got something thorough you can keep. You can go study them all on your own. We may not have time to look at them all in the oral presentation, but that's the plan. So with that, Acts, let us begin. Acts of the Apostles. Which is a nice title, but I'm going to suggest to you, automatic focus, that it could also say Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the real actor in the book of Acts. He's the constant. The apostles are doing nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. And anything accomplished in the book of Acts is accomplished by the Spirit. Now, if we look at the first chapter... The Holy Spirit's not come yet. So we should not expect to find those fulfillments of what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came. And we don't. What we see in chapter 1, in the four references there are to the Holy Spirit, are things that are consistent with what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to do, but we don't yet see the Holy Spirit coming to do them. So, for example, um, uh, Luke is writing this. Luke says... Um, in the first book, O Theophilus, the first book is the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now that's very clearly consistent with what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. What Jesus was saying and doing was by the Holy Spirit, whether the apostles knew it or not. And that's consistent with what we see here. Um, The next passage, uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's coming, again, consistent with what Jesus said in John, that he will send the Holy Spirit. He is coming. The next passage, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Again, consistent with what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came, they would be his witnesses. This is the John passage where Jesus says it. Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. For you've been with me from the beginning. So that's the same thing. 
He's going to come in power and empower the apostles to bear witness to Jesus Christ. You see, it fits exactly with what, with what Jesus said to John, or, or what John wrote of Jesus' discourse. The next one. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The Holy Spirit, Luke recognized, was speaking through David in the Old Testament, bearing witness about Jesus and what was going to happen to Jesus. What the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament is the same thing the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament and the same thing the Holy Spirit does today. Bear witness to Jesus. By the way, the word guide there is the same word guide that Jesus uses and it's a contrast. Judas was a guide to the evil, wicked people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a guide to Jesus for evil, wicked people. But the Holy Spirit brings us for redemption. Judas was a guide for evil and nefarious purposes. You see the contrast there? It's a linguistic play that Luke makes. All right, let's keep going. That's it in chapter 1. You've now looked at every reference to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. But the Holy Spirit actually comes and the promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I want us to look at it in a little bit of detail. We'll look at some of it in the scripture and then I'll tell some of the story or round it around the edges to go quicker. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, they the apostles. Now, an interesting aspect of this is to see what happened right before it. And, and I'll just tell it rather than show it. The apostles had been told by Jesus to stay in one place and to, to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So they're staying and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. But they're sitting there thinking, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Hey, there used to be 12. Jesus picked out 12 apostles. There's only 11 of us because Judas is a goner. So maybe we need to replace Judas. So they narrow it down to two guys that seem right. And then they roll dice to see which one it should be. They're still clueless before the Holy Spirit comes. They're trying to figure out the direction of God by casting lots. Okay, if it's even, it's Matthias. Snake eyes, one, one, two. Even, Matthias, you're the guy. And that's the way they pick before the Holy Spirit comes. They're still without any understanding of what's going on. They're in a dark room until the Holy Spirit comes and turns on the light and illuminates the world. And all of a sudden, it's like night and day. Hey, they go immediately. Look at the verse right before Pentecost. They cast lots for them. Justice and Matthias to figure out which one should be. The lot fell on Matthias. So he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now we got 12. And they're still waiting. What else should we do? La, 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 la. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The word for spirit... 
The word for wind, same word in Greek and Hebrew. There's a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven. Jesus said, my father in heaven will send the wind, the spirit. They hear the wind coming from heaven. It fits hand in glove with what John had recorded for us. And it fills the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude comes together. They're bewildered. And look at this. They're not just speaking in tongues, but they're hearing in tongues. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, hey... Where'd the Galilean learn to speak that language? How is it each of us hears in his own native language? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, on and on and on. They're all amazed and perplexed. Now, they're not just amazed and perplexed because they're hearing in their own language. They're amazed and perplexed because of what? Is being said. The Holy Spirit. Has got a message. He is proclaiming. He's proclaiming a message. About a resurrected Jesus. He's proclaiming a message. About Jesus Christ dead. Buried for three days. Resurrected as a physical being. And what's the reaction. Of the people to that. These guys are drunk. They're not saying they're drunk because they're speaking Parthian. Being drunk would just make you slur Parthian. They're drunk because, or supposed drunk, because they're proclaiming a message that's incomprehensible otherwise. So Peter stands up and we get a little little whiff of what they're saying. Peter, Mr. Clueless, who didn't have a clue what was going on. Who when Jesus dies, he runs and he hides. When he's identified around the fire as following Jesus, his reply is, I don't even know the guy. And he cusses. Denies him three times. Peter stands up and he says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. We're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Even on servants... 
I'll pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy on everybody. I'm going to pour out my spirit. My spirit will no longer be given just to the select few, to the general to lead into battle, to the king to be a good king. My spirit's going to be poured out on all of my people, all of the believers, the high and the low alike. And that's what's happened. The spirit's been poured out. And as a result, look what the Spirit's saying. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. You killed him. And God raised him up because it's not possible for death to hold him. David says concerning him. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He was died, died, he was buried, but he didn't come out of the tomb three days later. He's still there. Now, look what happens. Jesus, God raised up. Of that, we are all witnesses. That's what Jesus said. Holy Spirit's going to come. You'll understand. You'll remember. You will testify to me and the Holy Spirit will testify to me. The Holy Spirit will witness to me through you, but you'll be witnesses too. That's exactly what's happening. We are witnesses. Therefore, exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Holy Spirit sent by God, yes, and sent by Jesus. See, Jesus said both would happen. The Father would send him and I will send him. This is exactly what Luke's recording. Peter said that Jesus, that the Father poured out, had the, delivered the promised Holy Spirit and then Jesus has poured out this by yourselves. Now, what happens? Peter tells everybody You have just killed the Son of God. And he's back. (laughs) Now, if you don't have the benefit of Christianity in 2,000 years, how are you feeling? I got to tell you. You've heard it said, if you're going to shoot at the king, you better get him. They got him, but he came back. They were convicted of their sin and of righteousness and Jesus' ascension and of judgment that the ruler of this world and all unrighteousness Stands before the wrath of an angry God. You will not be shocked to see what happens. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. (laughs) They said, what do we do? We kill God. I mean, what what do we do? What, 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 What do we do? Peter says, you repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
he will also be in you. So the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter um, 2. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he does exactly what Jesus says he will do. And we have it there. And, and it's pretty clear. If we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. The Father will give the Holy Spirit. He did. It communicates it clearly in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit that God gave, promised, a helper. Oh, he's already helping. He's already alongside the apostles in their ministry. They're not doing that alone. Do you think they were speaking those foreign languages by themselves? Or did they have some help? Permanent. Well, we don't know that yet. But it's permanent in chapter 2. We'll have to keep our eye on that point and see if Jesus was straightforward. The spirit of truth. Oh, he's proclaiming truth. But we'll see that even more when we get to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Unique to the believer. The believers have this understanding. The unbelievers don't, but they're beginning to be captured by the Spirit. The Spirit's convicting them, but not yet indwelling them. But they are told, you put your faith in Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You trust Jesus to be your sufficiency, your your righteousness, your penalty you'll receive the holy spirit then too unique to the believer world doesn't see the world doesn't know we see that here will indwell them he certainly indwelled the apostles at that point with the promise he would indwell every believer sent in Jesus' name absolutely the entire sermon was in the name of jesus that's the whole point we'll teach them Peter has understanding for the first time in his life. It's no longer Peter saying to Jesus, okay, what what does this parable mean? Okay, what what, what are you talking about? Okay, well, where are you going? Well, hey, can I sit on your right hand when you come to glory? And none of that. For the first time, Peter's just like up there quoting Joel. He's up there. Hey, this is what's going down. Boom, 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 boom. He's been taught. We'll remind them. Peter's able to recount what Jesus did. We'll bear witness to Jesus. That's exactly what Peter's doing. We'll use the apostles to witness. That's exactly, even the word witness is in the text. We're bearing witness to this. We are the witnesses to this. Doesn't happen until Jesus dies, resurrected, and ascends to the Father. Jesus was right on the timing. Number 14, Jesus will send. That's exactly what Peter says. Jesus, having received the Holy Spirit from the Father, has sent the Holy Spirit down here. Number 15, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 37, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit does exactly what Jesus says. We'll guide them into truth. We'll see that more as we go along. But certainly we already see to the extent Peter's even understanding the prophecy of Joel now. Will speak God's message and glorify Christ. That's entirely what Peter's doing. This story, the coming of the Holy Spirit to the apostles, it just must have been, ay caramba! Wow! 
This is what Jesus said would happen. To the T. He didn't just like nail it. I mean, he sent it over the center field fence. It's just, okay. So, now we could shut the book of Acts there, but hey, we got more chapters. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the next references. In chapter 3, Peter and John go and they heal a lame man. And because they heal a lame man, they get in a little bit of trouble. They heal the lame man by the power of the Spirit. And do you know what they say when they heal him? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Because the Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. As Jesus had said. So they do that. Then Peter starts speaking by the Holy Spirit in the portico of the, the, the Solomon's portico. Gets in trouble. Gets called and arrested. And now we get into chapter 4. In chapter 4, they're speaking to the people. The priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees come upon them. They're annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus resurrection from the dead. So they arrest them. They put them in custody until the next day. But many of those who had heard the word believed. Now your number's up to about 5,000. You had 3,000 on Pentecost. So now you're up to about 5,000. So on the next day, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they get together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. You got to know, for Caiaphas, this is a bad dream. It's just been a couple months ago. He had Jesus there. Just a couple months ago, Jesus is in front of Caiaphas. And he thinks he's going to fix everything by sending Jesus to his death. He's just made it worse. When they set Peter and John in their midst, they said, By what power or by what name did you do this? Heal this lame man. Look at the answer. Peter said, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Hey, rulers and people and elders... If we're being examined today because of a good deed we did to a crippled man and by the means, then I got something to say to you. To all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Jesus, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus, 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 Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. This is Peter. This is the one who two months ago was crouched by the fire. And when a houseman said, hey, he's with Jesus. I was not. I don't even know the guy. What has come over him? Frightful, scared little Peter. The fisherman, the uneducated fisherman standing up in front of the most educated people in his entire ethnic race. Telling him about Jesus Christ. And what he did by the power of God according to Holy Scripture. Wow! Something's different in the life of Sir Peter. It's the Holy Spirit. Luke makes it clear we understand that. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit doing exactly what Jesus said. We continue to see, and, and, and I'm, <laughs> this will take a year to work through Acts. Fleming will finish Romans before we finish Acts if I don't move on. So you got it in your handout. But I want to pull out a couple more in just a few minutes. 
Look at chapter 4, after Peter's been released. Peter did not shut up the way they told him to, nor did anyone else. The place in which they gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, the next chapter, chapter 5, is a troublesome chapter to some people. See, the, the church did not yet understand that Jesus would tarry before he returned. They thought he might return any day. So they were selling everything they had and holding everything in common, getting ready for the return. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property. It's a husband-wife tandem. And they sold the piece of property and said they were giving the money to the church. We're going to sell this piece of property and give all the money to the church. Then they kind of said to each other, well, we don't have to give all of it. I mean, after all, a tithe is only 10%. You know, we can tell them we're giving all of it. But let's keep some back. You know, this is like uh, just-in-case money. Peter calls him down on it. Peter says in chapter 5, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is, what did Jesus say? The Spirit of truth. Don't go lying to the Holy Spirit. Well, Ananias falls down dead when he realizes what he did. And his wife joins him shortly thereafter. Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't countenance lying. Um, and so that's chapter 5 there. But now before we get past chapter 5 into chapter 6, let's look at another passage here. Uh, Peter gets arrested. The apostles actually get arrested. And they get uh, uh, called out in front of everybody again. They're in front of the council. Verse 27 is where this comes in. The priest questioned him saying, We strictly tar charged you not to teach in this name, yet you're still doing it. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're blaming us for killing him. You know, we told you just to leave it alone. Peter and the apostles said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There is nothing that could be more direct of what John said. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Look at, remember John? Jesus said, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness. We are witnesses and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given. That was another one on our checklist. God would give. It's, we can continue to look at, at each reference as we go along. Acts chapter 6. They've got to find some men, the... the, the certain set of widows were being ignored. And so the apostles decide the right thing to do is to pick out seven men to help the ministry to those widows and to oversee it. So they want seven men who are full of the spirit and of wisdom. So they find these seven men who are full of the spirit. They choose among them Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and several others. And so with that, Stephen goes forward. 
Now, Stephen not only does that ministry, but Stephen teaches as well. And it's interesting, if you see his teaching, it says this. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. The, the wisdom of man's not going to handle that debate. Oh, I've seen good debaters in my life. But I've never seen anybody who's going to hold their own with the Holy Spirit. So what was it that Stephen was saying by the Holy Spirit? Would you be surprised to find it was about Jesus? Look at what he's saying. This is the report from the people hearing him. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. will change the customs Moses delivered to us. And then Stephen gives this speech that for almost all of chapter 7 is a recounting from the time of Abraham through all of the patriarchs in Egypt and through the kings and through the prophets about Jesus. He explains the entire gospel story through the Old Testament. He was a man full of the Spirit who spoke by the Spirit, who brought a glory to Jesus by the Spirit. And then when the people wouldn't respond to the message... When the people were still arguing with him, when the people had decided they would stone Stephen, his reply to them is, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit they were resisting. When they hear this, they grind their teeth, they decide they're going to stone him, and what happens with Stephen? Full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes into heaven and he sees the glory of God, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Whoops. The Holy Spirit shows him Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. If we go to chapter 8, chapter 8, we have a, a, a very interesting story. It's 1154. Okay. I'll, I'll, um, we'll only have one point for home, but it'll be a doozy. Um, here's what happens. So, Jerusalem and Judea, the area of the Jews, they've got the Spirit. And, and, and they, they're becoming, they, they've become believers and the church is growing and it's thousands and thousands of people strong. And then the word goes out to Samaria and the Samaritans become believers. But there's no obvious manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles go. And the apostles lay hands on them. And the Holy Spirit's there. Now, if you want to build theology by looking at examples in the Bible, you're going to be in trouble. Don't build theology by looking at examples. Let examples be a part of it, but you've got to really, really be careful. Because there are what we would call today one-off events. And when the one-off event happens, you've got to be... You, 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 
Samaritans were taboo to Jews. They were horribly taboo. You not only couldn't touch them, you couldn't talk to them. They were from the northern kingdom of Israel, which went renegade centuries before the southern kingdom, interbred with Canaanites and others, and it left a people that were disgusting to Jews. If you saw a Samaritan, you crossed on the other side of the street. So, Jesus and his church and his movement reaches that, what used to be the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. And it's united in the kingdom of Christ. What Israel had never been able to do, reunite the southern and northern kingdoms, Jesus does in a matter of months. What hadn't been done since the children of Solomon has been mended in the kingdom of God. But to show it, the apostles not only go there, but they put their hands on the Samaritans. They touch them because they're the same. They are one. That's the unity of the Spirit. That's what Paul's writing about in Ephesians when he says the unity of the Spirit has divided the walls of hostility. Jew and Gentile, Jew and Samaritan. There is a unity because this is what Jesus said. That when the Spirit comes, they'll understand that I am in you and you are in me and we are in them. That we are one. And we have it in a very visual event here. And so that's what we have. And we have uh, this. Now, Simon, the magician who was there, thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I can buy from them the ability to lay hands on people and give the Spirit. Because he was thinking, this is uh, not a one-off. He was thinking, this is the way it's done. And he was also thinking very economic-driven. Going to make money off the Lord. Don't worry, I'll give him back 10%. That's one he gets snapped down on pretty hard. Um, Okay, I got to quit. Um, Let's get to a point for home. But these just get better. I mean, these just get better. You're good. These get better. So I'll finish writing it up next week, and I promise I'll try to make it through next week and not spend so much time on the checklist. But let's get to at least one point for home. Let's see which one would work. Uh, yeah, this one works. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Bob Dylan has this song. Do, do you all know the song? God don't make promises that he don't keep. You don't know that song? Says it a couple times. God don't make promises that he don't keep. He's right. God don't make promises that he don't keep. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to come. Here's what he's going to do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eighteen. And the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit does. One, two, three, four, five, six. The Holy Spirit comes in God's timing to do God's bidding, to do God's chore. The Holy Spirit is God. And there is 100% consistency between the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son. They are one. 
And God don't make promises that he don't keep. And that is my, that's, hey guys, I'm just going to be blunt with you. I don't know how anyone could live their life with any confidence or joy without that assurance, without that trust that God keeps his promises. I just don't know how. It's the reason I can face my day. It's the reason I can face a struggle. It's the reason I can live with confidence when I don't have a clue what tomorrow holds. If I tried to see what the future holds for me, I wouldn't be able to do it. Tim, have things happened in your life you never dreamed would happen in God's timing by the hand of God? Yes. And it's just a miracle. It's just the way he works. And I couldn't live without it. And it's where I want to dwell. And if you'll join me in that, I want to pray over us all. Please pray with me. Our faithful, loving, kind, just, heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we come to you convicted not only of the sin that we bring to you, but of the righteousness you give us in return. The righteousness that you have made possible through the ultimate sacrifice. Father, may we never doubt you and your promises. May we lean wholly upon you. May your Holy Spirit confirm in us your faithfulness. May your Holy Spirit teach and guide us in this class. Illumine our hearts, illumine our minds. Sustain us, encourage us, upbuild us, unite us in the cause of Jesus Christ. Minister to our families healing and blessing. Minister to our, 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 our daily chores. An ability to bless you in what we're doing. May every moment we spend, Lord, be infused by your spirit to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Until he comes again. Amen. Amen.